All right. Well, a couple things for you guys before we get into God's word this morning. A um, couple of announcements. First announcement is um, some of you guys may have seen on social media yesterday, but we were at church or we were at the, the new building yesterday and we had a time of cleaning. And so those of you that came out and cleaned and um, gave up your Saturday morning to come and be a blessing, we thank you guys. We got a lot done and the space looked um, really good. And so just thank you guys for coming out and doing that. Um, with that, want to give you guys kind of an update on where things are at. Well, we're not all the way in the clear yet. We're not all the way in thumbs up, but we did have something big and significant um, happen this week on the building front. On Thursday, um, late Thursday afternoon, I got an email saying the permit, this has been the big thing. This has been the thing that we've been praying for for the past couple months. The permit um, got approved by the planning department there in the city. And so it was really, that was our big obstacle. And so thank you guys for praying. And it's really definitely um, good news. And it's definitely a praise report. But after I kept reading the email, I kind of was focused on approved. But then I didn't realize that there was another step to the process. You know, for me, I this has been the longest process ever. But there's one more step, and it, and it seems that that step is more of a formality. And that's for fire and safety to come out and to do a walkthrough of the space. And then it sounds like, unless there's another step, um, it sounds like we're at that final step. And so tomorrow morning, I will be um, contacting the city and trying to see when they can come out and do that walkthrough. And then preferably after that, we'll get all thumbs up and we'll be able to um, move into that space. And so keep praying. But our biggest obstacle, our biggest giant um, in this whole thing, it seems as though we are um, past that and we have the approval. All right. So that's definitely a praise report. But with this, um, as we kind of prepare and anticipate this move, one of the things we want, one of the things we want is we want some feedback. We want to hear from you guys, and um, we want to know how you guys feel about this move, about this um, transition from um, being out here outdoors into possibly um, transitioning indoors for our service. And so on our screen, I believe uh, if you're watching online with us, Leo's going to put it on the screen, but those of you that are here, um, if you guys can go to coastlinela.org slash survey, is that, is that the link? Slash survey, and there's the real quick survey, real quick questionnaire, uh, just kind of wanting to know how everybody feels about the move, get people's opinions, get your thoughts, your concerns. Um, I believe one of the questions on there has to do with ministry and just your comfort level and and just really um, giving us, as we pray and as we make decisions about ministry um, going forward, it'll help us in our time of prayer and our time of preparation. Okay, so once again, that's coastlinela.org slash survey. And so just go on there and real quick, I believe it's only four questions, four, four spaces to fill out. And we'd love to get your guys's feedback all right so let's keep praying and 
let's keep seeking the Lord and let's see what the Lord does. Amen? So, all right, got a surprise for you guys. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12 this morning. For the next month, we are going to take a break from the study of the life of David and focus on two short mini-series. For the next three Sunday mornings, I'm going to teach a three-part study that I'm calling Dear Church. And so this morning, we're going to start that series. And then we'll focus on Easter. And then after Easter, we'll come back to 2 Samuel and finish the life of David. Romans chapter 12 is one of the most practical chapters in all the Bible, especially when it pertains to the church. As I was talking to Christina this week and I was sharing with her that there are some things in my heart as a pastor that I want to share with our church family, we were talking and one of the things I was telling her was if you go into 2 Samuel, where we left off, we left off, you guys remember, with the David and Bathsheba and Uriah and the baby and Nathan um, trilogy there. But the next section has to do with some of the consequences. So last Sunday morning was the consequence of David's sin, but it was very broad. But as you go into that next section, it gets very specific. You guys remember one of the consequences for David was that the sword was never going to depart from his house, from his home. And so before we get into those consequences, before we get into some of those specifics that begin to tear apart David's family, I was sharing with Christine, I go, I, that's not where my heart is for our church right now. You know, I, f- I feel like we're in, a, we're in a very exciting season. You know, I feel like there's some great things ahead for our church and so chapter 13 of second samuel there was rape and murder and i just felt like we'll we'll leave that for after easter you know i I feel like there's some things that i really want to share with you guys just some practical stuff and so i feel like chapter 12 here of romans perfectly captures those specific topics And so let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for just this time to be able to sit once again and hear from you. To be able to sit and receive your word. Lord, we prayed this morning that you would take this this little mini-series, this little series addressed to the church and i pray that each of us who are in christ and who are a part of the church lord that we would sit right now and god that we'd be able to receive from you that lord you would speak to us and that you would speak so clearly and so lord we just thank you and we love you And we pray that you would take full control, Lord, of this time together. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So I mentioned our study here, our little series that we're going to be focusing on, is we're going to be going through chapter 12. 
of the book of Romans. And if you're taking notes this morning, I just want to give you guys a real quick outline, just a very quick overview of the chapter, just so that you guys kind of know what the next three weeks have for us. So this morning, we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 this morning in a teaching that I'm calling, Dear Church, It's Time for Surrender. Dear Church, It's Time for Surrender. And then next Sunday, we're going to focus on verses 3 through 8 with the message that we're going to call, Dear Church, It's Time for Faith. Dear Church, It's Time for Faith. And then in two Sundays from now, we're going to close Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and we're going to call that message, Dear Church, It's Time for Sincere Living. But this morning... We're going to focus on, if you're taking notes, the title of this morning's message is Dear Church, It's Time for Surrender. Let's read verses 1 and 2 this morning here in Romans chapter 12. It says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word surrender is a picture of submission to someone else's authority. Submission. Falling before someone else in absolute surrender on the street there's an authority you may have in the times we're living in you may have an opinion on that authority but listen when you hear the words hands up you're called to submission you're called to surrender now on the street surrender is a dreaded response right it's a fearful response it's a, oh no, I'm in trouble response. But in the spiritual realm, in God's word, and in a worship setting, the word surrender gives the exact opposite response. When we choose to surrender in the spiritual realm, when we choose to surrender in a worship setting, it's a picture of someone willingly choosing submission to God's authority. So on the street, you're submitting to an authority, but the moment you step into Christ, you're, you're submitting to an authority. Someone willingly um, laying their life. Someone all of a sudden saying, my hands are up, and God, my life is yours. Go back to the streets in an alley. Surrender is scary. But in the Christian life, surrender is actually the safest place that you could ever find yourself. I'm going to say that again this morning. In the streets, in an alley, surrender scary. But when you step into the Christian life, when you step into church, when you step into all that God has for you, Surrender is actually the safest place that you could ever 
find yourself. You're now tucked under the authority of the Almighty. You're now tucked under the authority of the one who loves you. And so this morning, our focus is going to be on dear church, it's time to surrender. Would you go back with me to verse 1 this morning? Let's start there. It says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Let's stop there. In the opening part of verse 1, there are two words that I want to highlight for a moment. If you're taking notes, the first word that I want to highlight is the word beseech. It's not a word that we use. It's not something that comes out of our, out of our vocabulary or it's not a word that we use in conversation. But the word beseech literally means to ask urgently. It means to implore. And the second word that we see there in verse 1 that I want to highlight for a moment, it's the word brethren. In this context, the, this word focuses on family. The word brethren specifically focuses here in verse 1 on the church family. And so here we see, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. In the previous 11 chapters of the book of Romans, the emphasis was on biblical doctrine. So throughout the first 11 chapters, you have Paul writing, Paul teaching, Paul very clearly laying out for us heavy biblical doctrine. The, the, the word doctrine, it's, it's, it's just another word for teaching. Strong emphasis on biblical teaching. But then when we get to chapter 12, what Paul does is he takes the doctrine and he puts it into practice. He puts it into practice. You see, I believe that it's important that we are strong in our doctrine, strong in our teaching, strong in our knowledge of the scriptures. But I also believe, let me say this, that we are to be equally as strong in living out that doctrine. You see, I know, I interact with a lot of Christians who are very strong in their knowledge of God's word. Who are very strong in studying and reading heavy, like strong, like stuff you need really big brains for when it comes to biblical doctrine. But then you see their lives. You see the way they live, the way they love, the way they interact with the world, the way they interact with fellow believers. And there is a lack in the area of living out that doctrine. You see, for me, I believe as a Christian, I am called to study God's word. As a Christian, I am called to know what I believe. But I also believe that as a Christian, I am called to take the things that I believe and live them before God. Live them before my family. Live them before the world. If I could summarize the words beseech and brethren, it would be Paul saying these words, Dear church family, 
I have urgent words for you. Dear church family, I have urgent words for you. Keep reading verse 1. He says, by the mercies of God. Our surrender to God is not made possible because of anything we've done. My surrender to God has nothing to do with my abilities. Our surrender to God has nothing to do with how strong we are in a certain area, how intellectual we are in a certain area, how well off I might be in a certain area. My surrender, your surrender, our surrender to God is made possible, listen, because of the mercy of God, nothing else. Surrender to God is only possible because God is merciful. Let me remind you of what the word mercy means. The word mercy speaks of holding back what I deserve. And so surrender is possible because God holds back what I deserve. He holds back what you deserve. Surrender is possible because God has held back the penalty of sin. When we come before the Lord and we ask him to forgive us of our sin, that's God being merciful. That's God being the God of mercy holding back the penalty of sin. Because you guys remember earlier in the book of Romans, the Bible tells us that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. And so I, you, me, us, we cannot be a living sacrifice to God if our penalty is death. That's what the wage of sin is. That's what we deserve. But God is merciful to the believer. You see, God is merciful because he holds back judgment. He holds back the judgment that should be pronounced upon me. God is merciful because he holds back the law and he allows for us to live under grace. And God is merciful, you guys remember, because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so as I come before the Lord and the Lord asks you and I to surrender to him, surrender is only possible because of the mercies of God. Now, as we continue here in verses 1 and 2, there are three practical exhortations that the Apostle Paul gives concerning surrender. If you're taking notes this morning, number one, here in verse 1, the first exhortation that he gives us is he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And obviously what the Apostle Paul is speaking of is full, is absolute surrender. This phrase here, present your bodies, can be translated literally as present your entire being. Present all of you. 
Another translation says it like this. Present all your faculties to the Lord. Another translation says it like this. Present your whole being to God. You see, Paul was thinking of more than skin and bones when he said, hey, present yourself a living sacrifice to God. You see, what Paul had in mind was beyond all of what you see here. When we hear, hey, present your life, your bodies, we think of this. We think of skin, we think of bones, we think of organs. Yet what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, present your entire being. And our being is represented in, or can be represented in so many different ways. Our being can mean that, that God is calling us to surrender our mind. It could also mean that God is calling us to surrender our intellect, our emotions, our plans, our wills, our dreams, our thoughts, our desires, our hopes, our frustrations, our disappointments, our longings. He says, listen, take all of that, your entire being, and would you lay it on the altar as a living sacrifice? Would you take all of you, everything that makes up you, everything that you are, he says, would you take it and lay it before the Lord? And so you take your hopes, you take your dreams, you take the things that you long for, you take the areas in which you're insecure. You take those areas in where, you, where you've been disappointed. You take those areas where you've been holding on to it and you know God maybe has something different and yet you're holding on. You take your emotion. He says you take all of it, including your plan, and you sacrifice it, you lay it on the altar before the Lord. Now, there's a phrase here in verse 1 that I want to focus on for just a moment. I want you guys to notice in verse 1, it says, you present. You and I are to present our bodies, ourselves, our being to the Lord. And this phrase, you present, implies that you and I also have the ability to refuse to present. You see, this isn't, hey, God is forcing you and I into doing something. When God says, hey, present, you present yourself, your body, your being as a living sacrifice, he's saying it comes and it's commanded, but there's also still an option behind it. You see, God doesn't, force god doesn't say hey you have to part of living for god and part of conducting ourselves in a way that honors and pleases him comes with responsibility where you and i have a decision to make now it's interesting that the way that he says it and you and i presenting ourselves to god he gives us the picture of sacrifice. 
And you guys remember in the Old Testament, when someone would came, come to make a sacrifice, it was that person coming, choosing to make a sacrifice to God. Then you go into the New Testament, and every time you see a sacrifice involved, you see a believer choosing to make a sacrifice to God. What's my point this morning? Listen, my point is that surrender, presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, it's a choice. Making a decision to say, my will, my heart, my mind, my emotions, my plans, it's a choice to say, hey, God, I surrender to you. I'm laying it at your feet, and I'm allowing it to be a sacrifice. Most of you guys remember, there was a, there, there's a hymn. Sometimes, every once in a while, we'll sing hymns here, but... There's a hymn that was written specifically out of Romans chapter 12. There was a woman, her name was Frances Havergal, and she wrote a hymn of consecration. And she took the thought of her entire being being sacrificed or consecrated or surrendered to the Lord the story goes that she was at a time in her life where she was at a crossroads. She had been a believer for decades, but she knew that there were places in her heart and in her life that she did not want God to have. And so when she came across Romans chapter 12 one day in her time of study, it was as if something hit her that she'd never seen before. And I want to say this real quick this morning. Because I know that when someone who's been around church for longer than 10 minutes hears Romans chapter 12, automatically there might be a temptation to tune it out. Why? Because Romans chapter 12 is one of the most familiar, one of the most famous passages in Scripture. And so there is this temptation for us to say, well, I've already read that. Or there's a temptation when the pastor says, Romans chapter 12, go there with me this morning, for us to say, oh, I've already heard this. Or the temptation might be to say, man, I could, I could personally teach from this passage. So I'm not sure that there's anything else to get out of it. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have ever thought that before, Right? Hey, this morning we're going to go through John chapter 3, verse 16. And all of a sudden you're seeing, oh, I know that one. Or hey, this morning we're going to be in Romans, or Romans chapter 12, or we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. You're like, oh, that's my, that's my text. I got that one. But there are these certain passages where we're tempted to tune out. And I believe for this woman who wrote this hymn, she probably went through decades of feeling that way when it came to Romans, 1, or Romans 12. But all of a sudden, it was like light came on. All of a sudden, it was, wow, there's so much depth in the text. There was, wow, I've read that before, but God is speaking to me in a fresh way. You see, my prayer for all of us 
as we continue to make our way through Romans 12, that our approach to the text, as we lean into the text, that it would not be, I've heard that before, I've studied that before, but I pray it would be, wow, God, I didn't know there was more. I didn't know there was something else. And so what I want to do for just a moment is I want to go into this woman's hymn. I want to share with you guys just for a moment what this particular woman at that particular point, as she was reading this specific text, got out of what the text was saying. So you guys, once I start reading it, you guys will recognize the hymn. The first part of her hymn says these words in response to, Lord, I surrender. God, I give you everything. The first line of her hymn says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. How many of you guys know, now you know the hymn I'm talking about, right? The second line says, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing only always for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Uh-oh, here we go. Ready? Take my gold, or take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Leo, quickly put the offering thing back on the screen. No, I'm just kidding. Listen. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. Listen, take my life. Take my moments, take my days, take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my lips, take my silver, take my gold. Take my intellect, take my will, take my heart. That's what verse 1 is saying. Take it all. Everything that makes me, everything that comprises of, of this that you see before you, Lord, take it. Take it. Now, as we continue here in verse 1, there's another phrase that I want to focus on for a moment. And it, or actually it's a word. It's the word sacrifice. Notice there in verse 1, he says, I present myself to God a sacrifice. But there's three ways that Paul describes himself as a sacrifice. If you're taking notes, the first word that he uses to describe himself as a sacrifice to God is number one. He says, I present myself a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. In Paul's day, 
offerings were typically placed upon the altar. And once they were placed upon the altar as a sacrifice, typically the, the offering, the sacrifice, was not breathing. So when Jews and when Gentiles in Paul's day would have heard Paul say, present yourself as a living sacrifice, this would have just blew their mind. Because the Jews and the Gentiles of Paul's day, they were used to dead sacrifices being placed upon the altar. And Paul takes it a step further. He says, not dead, but living. Listen, not lifeless, but living. You see, God is calling you and I, the church, you and I, the believer. And he says, would you surrender all to me? But not as lifeless, not as not breathing, but would you surrender all to me as a living, breathing sacrifice? Now, the second way that Paul describes the sacrifice, number two, is he, he calls it a holy sacrifice. He says a living sacrifice, and then the next word he says is holy a holy sacrifice. You guys remember when sacrifices, when offerings were brought to the altar and they were to be offered up to the Lord. One of the things that was required of the sacrifice was that it would be holy. Or you guys remember this, that it would be without blemish. And so the sacrifice, the offering that was brought to the altar it had to be inspected. It had to be checked. It was checked for blemishes. And obviously what Paul is alluding to here is that the life of the Christian, the life of the churchgoer, the life of the follower of Christ, their life is to be a life without blemish. It's to be a life that is pure. Whenever I'm doing, whenever Christine and I are, when we're doing premarital counseling, one of the things we do is we sit down with the couple and we go through various places in Scripture where marriage is talked about. And one of those passages that we eventually find our way to during premarital counseling is Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, you guys remember, there's clear instructions to the wife. Wife, submit to your husband as the Lord. And then there's a clear instruction to the husband that he's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. But if you keep going in the instructions to the husband, one of the things that's required that the husband is called to do in his position is to wash her with the water of the word. Why? Because she becomes blemished. Or, going back to our word here this morning, she becomes unholy. How? Well, throughout the day, I mean, think about your day for a moment. All of us just, in a day, all of us just leaving the house, getting in our car, and just going for a drive, even if it's unintentional, we become blemished. We become unholy. You know, you drive down the street and you see billboards and all of a sudden 
tainted. Or you don't get in the car. You decide, I'm just going to stay home. This is the only way to stay pure. But you turn on the TV. You're flipping through channels. You're seeing commercials. Some of those commercials are for the new show, you know, that comes on after 10 o'clock. And, and there's all sorts of stuff in there. And as you're doing this, what happens? You become tainted. You become with blemish. And so God instructs the husbands and says, hey, husbands, love your rise as Christ loved the church. Wash them in the water of the word. Give them Jesus. Give them the word of God. Why? Because living in this world, you become blemished. You become stained. You become spotted. And so I believe as Christians, as we surrender ourselves to the Lord, God is calling and God is desiring that you and I be a holy sacrifice. That you and I would do all we can to keep ourselves from being spotted, blemished, tainted by this world. One more thing about this word sacrifice in the New Testament. The believer is informed that their bodies, their temple, the very thing that we're told here in Romans 12 to present to God is the New Testament version of the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, you have the Holy of Holies, but in the New Testament, we are the Holy of Holies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible tells us that we are the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, dwells in us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible tells us that we are a holy priesthood. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, we're told that we are not to continue to present our bodies, our members, it says, as instruments to sin. But we are to present ourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. Thank you, Arlen. And we are to present our members as instruments of righteousness. So what does that mean? It means that we go and we come before the Lord. The Lord says, would you surrender? Would you surrender all? And what the Lord is asking, what the Lord is saying is, would you give it all to me? And what you bring to me, would you do all you can to make sure that it's holy. Now, if you're taking notes real quick here in verse 1, there is a third, there's a third sacrifice that we're told. We're told, number three, that the sacrifice is to be acceptable. So he says, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This word acceptable literally speaks of being well-pleasing. So as a sacrifice to God, we are called to be well-pleasing. When they would bring the sacrifice before the priest, and the, the sacrifice was, was checked, inspected for blemish, there came a point where the sacrifice had to receive the approval, the acceptance of the priest. 
He had to, in a sense, put a stamp on it. Okay, this is a good one. This one is holy. This one is acceptable. This sacrifice is well-pleasing because it's holy. I want to encourage us all this morning real quick that we would choose, because that's what we're doing here, right? We're choosing to present ourselves to God, that we're choosing to live a life that is reasonable, acceptable, well-pleasing to him. Now, number two this morning, if you're taking notes as we continue, the second exhortation that Paul gives to the church, to the brethren, is found in verse 2. Would you keep reading with me? In verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. Number two, that's the second exhortation that Paul gives. Do not be conformed to this world. Another way of, of saying is, is do not allow yourself to be conformed by the world. The J.B. Phillips translation, which is a super simple translation of Scripture, reads this way. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Don't allow it. A mold. I want you guys for a second to think about a mold. What type of molds are out there? And I'm not talking about the kind in your walls. A mold. A mold is something that shapes something. A mold. Probably the most familiar mold that most of us have in our homes is an ice tray. It's a mold, right? And so what do you do? If you want to mold the water and turn it into ice... You put it into the mold. When you're baking, you don't want to just bake in a circle or in a square, but sometimes you want to go down and you're trying to make something really cute. And so you go, you take the batter, and you put it into the what? Into the mold. And you stick it in the oven, and all of a sudden, now the batter is molded. It's shaped. It's the same thing when it comes to this world. The world wants to take you and I, our life, our will, our intellect, our plans, our worldview, everything about us, and it wants to put us into the mold. You see, the scripture says, hey, the world has its own mold. It has a way that it wants to shape us to think. There's a way that the world wants to shape us to live and behave. In context here, what Paul is saying to the Romans is that at that particular time there was a way that the Roman world worked. There was a way that the Roman world wanted to shape you. There was a way that the Roman world wanted the people at that time to think. And so Paul is saying to the, to the believers in Rome, Rome wants to squeeze you into its mold. Rome wants to fashion you. And, the, and Rome wants you to think the way that they think. Now, the word world here, real quickly this morning, in the Greek, it can be, it's, it's not a reference to obviously the planets or the globe. But the world can be translated specifically in the Greek to a specific age or contemporary generation. 
So whatever your generation is like at the time that you are living, the Bible is saying don't allow it to squeeze you. Don't allow it to mold you. And I'll tell you, if there was ever a time for Romans 12.2 to be applicable, it's in this contemporary generation that we're living in right now. A generation, a period of time, an age where everything around us wants to shape us, wants to tell us how to think, what to believe, what is okay, what is hate, what is love. It wants to shape our opinion. What we're told here is that the only one, the only thing that is to shape our, our conviction is God and his word. Not the globe, not the planet, and definitely not the contemporary generation. One of the things that we are, or I was taught, or I was discipled in, in being a pastor by my pastor, was that you don't talk about politics from the pulpit. And it's crazy because 2020 was a very on fire political, political year. And so a lot of the things that you saw coming from pulpits was political. And for me, one of the things that I believe is the more you talk about politics, the less you talk about the Lord. The more you talk about politics, the less you're going to talk about his word. And so for me, I've always made it a point to just, because that's how I was trained, you just stay away from that and give them Jesus. You just stay away from that and give them the word. And so when we come to church, God's word tells us how we're to think. When we get into God's word and we come to him, God will tell us, hey, this is how the mind of a Christian is to be molded. And so for me, it was, I almost had to stay away from social media, especially during those last months of 2020, because as you're flipping through stories and videos and everything else, it felt like online, even the church, even the one, even some who were called to teach God's word, they, 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 instead of talking about God, instead of talking about his word, there was this temptation to dabble in, well, let me try and fight this from the pulpit. You see, I'm not called to fight it from the pulpit. I'm just called to teach. That's all I'm called to do. And as I, as I teach, my prayer is that it would allow your mind it would allow the way we think to be squeezed and conform to the mold of God's word. Lastly, let me say this, number three, as we finish this morning. The third exhortation that we're given there in verse two is we're told, be transformed. Be transformed. Finish verse two. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
I mentioned to you one of the areas that make up our being is our will. And I don't know about you, but for me, I personally want to know constantly, continually what God has for me. What his will is for me. And I also want to know, go back to verse 2, what is his good and acceptable, well-pleasing and perfect will for my life? Well, how do I know it? How do I find that? How, how do I stay in step with God's will? Well, number three, I'm transformed. I'm transformed. This word transformed here in the Greek, it's literally the, uh, the, the picture for metamorphosis. And it literally means to change from one form to another. To change from one person to another. Before we were walking with the Lord, we were one person. As we get squeezed into the mold of this world, and as we conform to the things of this world, we are one person. But when I come to know the Lord, when I come to see the light of his word, when all of a sudden he goes and he transforms my heart, I become a different person. The way I think is different. The way I live is different. The way I love is different. The way you parent is different. The things you do with your possessions are different. What's allowed under your, un, under your roof within your home is different. He says, would you be, listen, dear church, would you be transformed? Give me your eyes for a moment, church. Let me say this. We did not give our lives to Jesus so that we can continue to be and live as that same person. We gave our life to the Lord. We surrendered to him so that we would be transformed. Because we didn't want to live the same life stuck in the same pit. One last thing. Go back with me to verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is where we're going to finish this morning. It's interesting. When talking about transformation, when talking about changing from one form or one person to another, the first place that the scripture starts, at least here in verse 2, is the transformation is to take place where? In the mind. Renewing our minds. I love the way that someone described renewing the mind. They described it like this. It's like, it's like deleting old files from a computer completely erasing their presence and their place within the computer and loading new files that come with Scripture and with the Spirit of God. And so it's to hit delete. That's what renew means. Renew means you hit delete. 
it means you take it out back and you shoot it or whatever you got to do, whatever it is. You just take it and it's no longer in existence. And in its place are new files. In its place is the Spirit of God. It's to take the old mold and say, hey, this mold is destructive. This mold is unholy. This mold takes you down a path of death. We're going to take that mold, break it, get rid of it, have no more pieces of it, and we're going to replace it. Or it's like this, and some of you guys have heard me say this before. It's like when I came to the Lord. My mind was programmed a very specific way to think because of the house that I grew up in, because of the parents that I had, and because of the community and culture that I lived in. Just like every single one of you here right now, right? Growing up apart from Christ, your mind, you're trained to think a very specific way. But then I came to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, when I came to the Lord, guess what happened? God's word started to teach me. God's word started to transform me. And listen to this. God's word started to correct me. In all those areas in which I grew up thinking this was okay, this is acceptable, this is what a man does, and this is how a man talks. And then I was a Christian, and then I got married. And I was trained, I've told you guys before, my, I was trained by Al Bundy on how to be a husband. You know what I mean? Some of you guys grew up going to church on Sunday nights. My Sunday night was we watched um, um, Married with Children and Simpsons. That, that's how I grew up. That was my Sunday night. And so even in that, and, and we, don't, we laugh about it, we, we think it's playful, but the reality is that was also shaping me. That was also molding the way that I thought. And so the moment I, I was married, I still had a lot of reset button that needed to be pushed. And so I would try to pull some Al Bundy stuff on Christina. Hey, woman, you know, I, and I would come home and sit on the couch and put my feet up. Where's dinner? You know, what have you been doing all day? Woman, you know, watching soap operas and eating bonbons. You know, I remember that. And she would look at me like, what are you? This is what I married? But I didn't know any different because that's how my mind was programmed. I was programmed to think like Al and my dad. And all of a sudden, she had to correct me. She said, no, 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 no. I didn't marry Al. And I definitely didn't marry your dad. I married a Christian man who has the Spirit of God dwelling in him. And it was as if all of a sudden there was more transformation that needed to happen. There was more of that delete button, that reset button that had to be pushed in my life, specifically in my mind. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. But let me say this in closing. For me, personally, dear church, this series that we're going to spend our time in the next couple weeks, for me, it's, it's, it's more about, for us, hitting the reset buttons in our heart. Hitting the reset buttons in our mind. 
You see, I could stand up here every Sunday and just teach God's word. But I believe there are also moments and seasons where we have to take the teaching and get very practical with it. And put it in such a practical way and line it up with our life and say, hey, how's it going? How's it going? And so for me, as we continue our series the next couple weeks, that's my prayer. That the Spirit of God would use our time together to say, how's it going? How's the surrender going? Next week, we're going to talk about how's your faith going? When's the last time you took a step? When's the last time you did something and trusted God where you had to exercise faith? Where you had to take a step into something that was very scary, very uncertain, and yet you had to trust that God was in it with you. It's good to study doctrine. It's good to teach the word. But there's a whole lot of practical teaching in God's word too. And so that's my prayer for the next few weeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given to us to be able to sit and study your word. And Lord, I pray that you would take the things that we talked about. Lord, the exhortations that were given. And I pray, Lord, that you would as we before we leave during even during this last song i pray that you would allow for this time together to just be a moment where it's just you and us and you just speaking you saying hey that was for you this word was for you that phrase was for you and i pray that we gladly receive it this morning you know, before Charles leads us in this last song, I want to encourage you for just a moment. Just 30 seconds, you know, there on your own, you and the Lord. Uh, Charles is going to play softly real quick. And I encourage you just to spend a moment with the Lord. You know, consider our text this morning. Reflect on it for a moment. And ask the Lord, Lord, what was in there this morning that was for me? What word in there was the reason you had me tune in or the reason you had me show up? So just take that moment real quick. Just seek the Lord. Now, let me say this this morning. Take that word, whatever it was that the Lord showed you, and hold on to that. Hold on to it and say, that's why I came this morning. That's why I listened this morning. Let's all stand.